Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello? Hello, could I please speak with Meredith Monk? This is she. Meredith, what a pleasure to have you on the line. Thank you so much it for taking... It is my pleasure, Paul. It's my pleasure. Well, it's my pleasure to thank you for being part of the quarantine tapes. I, I really wanted your voice to be part of it. Tell me, what has your day been like today and where do I find you? I'm in my loft in New York City and I've been here for the last two and a half months. I've been pretty much alone. I mean, I live alone here and I've only gone out about five times in the last two and two and a half months. Um, and my day is, uh, my usual day where I meditate in the morning and then I was working on some music that I'm just completing one section of a new piece called Indra's net. And then I read a little bit and then I talked to Kristin, your assistant, and here I am. And, and, um, are there some rituals you're following now that might be new for this period, for this quarantine moment? Not necessarily new, but, uh, you know, it feels very much like I'm in a re retreat mode, which is something that I always associated with being out of New York. Um, you know, when I'm in New York, usually I'm doing a lot of rehearsing with my group, which I haven't been able to do. I'm on tour a lot. I do a lot of, of, things like interviews or teaching, something like that. Uh, whereas if I'm in New Mexico where I have some land, I usually am, and a little bit my reality is like it is now where I have, the time is not that scheduled, so I have to rely on my discipline to work and to meditate. So that's kind of what I've been doing this month, this two and a half months. And it's a strange thing because on one level, I'm, you know, just overwhelmed by sadness. I just, you know, I just feel this wave of sadness coming over me about the suffering that's going on right now. And yet, on the other hand, it's a kind of blessing for me because I've really been able to work on my new piece in a way that I haven't been able to for a while uh, uninterrupted. So the music is just flowing out of me, and I'm just so grateful. You know, it just, uh, it's amazing. So that is, um, you know, what my days are usually like. But I have been, uh, you know, s some of the things that I do that I think are very helpful that I've never done before is that. Um, one of the things is um, on Saturdays and Tuesdays, I try no screens, no radio, nothing coming in at all. Like it's, it's like a screenless Sabbath day, you know, or a retreat day. <laughs> why, and, why, um, why, why Saturday and Tuesday? I don't know. I love I love the fact that in a way it responds perfectly to my question about rituals you've chosen yes. <laughs> you've chosen two days you know speaking with pico aya not very long ago also on the quarantine oh i love pico he's such a good friend i would imagine and you know pico said yes. uh, said about about i asked him about reading the newspaper and he said i i do 5 minutes a day or less 
of, the, of reading the newspaper. Yeah, five, five <laughs> minutes great. a day or less. And and you have chosen two days where you detox from the screen, which which has become so prevalent now. The screen and the radio, you know, because I just get, you know, I get so involved with the news and then it affects me for the rest of the day. So I've been finding that that's unbelievable for me, you know, it's uh, especially in New York. I mean, when I'm, when I'm in the country, I don't listen to the radio, but in New York, it's very, very noisy. So, you know, sound is coming in from the street really loud. And so the radio is a little bit like canceling it out, you know, it's like, and, and their friends on the radio, you know, they become your friends. But uh, usually in the country, I don't have a radio. And so this is a little bit like trying to maintain that. And those days, I also really give myself in the morning to read and to do a crossword puzzle, really meditate, do some um, Dharma reading, you know, and, and really have the, that quiet morning time. And then another ritual that I've been trying to do, which is definitely coming from my um, Buddhist teaching uh, teacher, Pema Chodron, is to do what she calls a pause practice, which is that you basically just a few times in your day, you just literally stop and you take three deep breaths in and out. And it's amazing how you just see things that you're not noticing at all. You're hearing things that you don't notice. It's like your whole sensor, sensory apparatus opens up. And I realized just how much we all miss with our minds going so fast all the time and you know, the, the kind of conversation that our minds make with us, you know, so when the pause practice, that all just stops and you just are, are more aware of what's actually there. You, you, you mentioned, Meredith, that in New York, you, you live alone, but I'm wondering, do you, do you still have the company of your, of your turtle? I do. Neutron. I have the company of my turtle, Neutron. And, and, and what has a Neutron actually taught you? <laughs> I love I love that laugh. I love that laugh. <laughs> well, I I'm sorry that on the radio or on the tape I cannot show you Neutron. I, I can't introduce her to you. And since she doesn't make any noise, uh, you know, there's no way that you can perceive her, but um, you know, I've had her for uh 40 Yeah, it's like 42 years now. It will be 42 years in in November. It's a long marriage. It's a long marriage. <laughs> and I don't know how old she was when I got her, but the vet says that she's middle-aged now. She's a middle-aged tortoise. You know, I, I asked you a question about what, what you what you learned from her, and it reminded me, you know, I'm a quotomaniac by profession, and there's a line of Graham Greene I've always loved where he says, there's a virtue to slowness. Which we definitely, have, which we have lost. Exactly. You know, I feel I feel that the slowing down is really good for our nervous systems in this time. And you know, um, I think a lot about how this new world is going to be created. You know, uh, when and if this this situation changes, there isn't really a normal. You know, because normal was destruction of the planet. You know, and and the myth of control. I think that. Hopefully, a new normal will be, uh, you know, a world that uh, that it affirms kindness and cooperation and generosity, rather than cruelty, selfishness, and violence. How hopeful! Are, <laughs> how hopeful are you? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of people that are definitely thinking in these terms, and uh, I think you know the way that I feel about it is, I always say, when you're doing something that you love. 
you don't know what the effect of that's going to be, but you are sending that out. And, you know, we all have to work on ourselves and be friends with ourselves before we can even know what to send out to other people. But, and it doesn't, you know, we don't know what the feedback is or how that's going to influence the world. But I think we just have to have that belief that it is and, you know, that it resonates that it's like throwing a, a stone in a pool and it resonates maybe in ways that we don't know. But it is a big wake-up call, you know. I think that, you know, I think the virus is impartial, you know, and it's kind of, I, I think of it as Mother Nature flexing her muscles after what we've done to her. And she she's not finished yet. This is like just the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, it's really, it's it's a chance for us to change course. What can one do? I mean, one can only hope that people will come to their senses. And and when when you say come to their senses, I think I hear really their senses, uh, l learning and really their senses. Yes. Yeah, but, l l <laughs> yes. but but in a way, I mean, we'll get to that, Meredith. But in a way, it is about the senses. It is about paying attention. You know, attention must mm -hmm. be paid, as as Arthur Miller says. It must be exactly. paid. Attention must be paid. We must learn how to listen. And I'm I'm going to bring up a line that I so much like. A few years ago, you said, "I realized I'm a doer, a person who does." does 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 but now i'm trying to be 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 so i often just sit <laughs> and listen kind of like a dog and that yeah. and that brought to my mind uh, meredith something that i have to read to you early on in my life i read the the letters of Rainer maria rilke not just the letters oh to, those are so beautiful not, to the young artist yeah not just the letters to word. a young poet but his letters poet, yeah. his letters generally speaking and i often say that they are part of my sentimental education in 1907 rilke goes and sees an exhibition the first exhibition at the salon de of Cézanne and he, go, uh -huh. he, go, he goes with a painter friend of his and this is what she says and what he relays he says Cézanne sat there in front of the paintings like a dog just looking uh -huh. without any nervousness without any nervousness without any ulterior motive he only uh -huh. made what he knew nothing else and this somehow I I I I feel this might echo with with what you said when you said do 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 be 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 be. Yeah, I wish that I was a little less awkward, like do 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 and be 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 be. But you know, I'm a musician, so probably I had to do the uh, repeat, yeah. <laughs> the repeat of those two words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean. I think we're not trained to not fill up space. You know, we're trained to always fill it up in one way or another. So either that's achieving or it's, you know, watching movies or some kind of activity. And it's very hard here in the city. I, I do find like when I'm in New Mexico, which is my, my soul place, I'm just amazed. I mean, I can sit and just look and listen for a long time. And I always call it the cosmic orchestra. You know, it's like, why did that bird just start right there? You know, the conductor brought the, the bird in and now over there are the crickets and, you know, it's sort of the rhythm of nature. The, 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 the inherent rhythms of nature are so beautiful and so elegant. So, you know, it always inspires me not to try to imitate it in, in any way, not to imitate those sounds, but just uh, the kind of inevitability of the rhythms. Just sit there and, and, um, 
as I as I read, you 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 once sat there and were got quite close to coyotes. Oh yes, one time when I first when I first went out there, so it's northern New Mexico. There were there were coyotes, a, a bunch of them in this valley. Ooh, it was really primal. <sighs> I mean, it was kind of terrifying on a certain level and so beautiful, the power. Uh, so it was two groups and they would be calling across the canyon. So, and usually it was at night. And so one afternoon I was, I, and I didn't know the land very well at that time. So, you know, I was just seeing how I felt about it and, you know, like just getting familiar with it. And I went up, I think it was maybe about one o'clock in the afternoon and I climbed up. We have cliffs on the land and I climbed up and I started singing a piece called Offering, which is a very high sustained kind of melody and they answered me <laughs> my my coyote singer sisters answered me in the middle of the day i probably woke them up from their siesta but that was so extraordinary so that, that was have, interspecies an interspecies duet <laughs> well you, you you know you you you've said that you want your work to be of benefit to sentient beings mm-hmm. what, that's right what do you mean by that well, again, it's a Buddhist concept, and it is a way of us to remember that every little creature and every living thing is sacred, you know, and not in, you know, in a very uh, straightforward kind of way. You know, in, in that way of thinking about things, everything that's alive is sentient, including a mosquito. Or <laughs> So it's not that, uh, I mean, the Dalai Lama himself would say, if you have these mice that are going to make disease in your house, you have to, you know, be kind of practical about life and, um, you know, like, uh, and you might have to figure out a way to do something or another about them. Uh, you know, but you're very aware of it. You know, there's a kind of awareness. It doesn't take anything for granted in that way of thinking about things. And that's really a great thing. Cause I think in our lives, there's so much that we take for granted. Someone who comes to mind, um, when thinking about you uh, quite naturally, and I think probably naturally to you, is um, is John Cage. So many, so many things that John Cage said seem to me so uh, consonant with with what I, I take to be a way of being and thinking and listening in the world, including his statement that the act of listening is in fact an act an act of composing. But there's this ah. little, there's this little t- tell me you said ah I want you to respond then before I go on. Well, I knew John at the end of his life because yeah. uh, I sang his piece called Aria, and I sang another piece of uh, Variations Six, I think it was, and I didn't know him early on. And you know, I think anybody that was alive in the mid '60s and early '70s, I mean, there was there was not a way that you could not be at least influenced by his thinking in one way or another, even if you were responding to it in a uh, kind of Hegelian dialectic. I mean, I don't think my work was really ever that influenced by John. Uh, it's a very different way of working, but I loved him as a person and we had so much fun together. And I always learned by just being with him as a human being. And so I find as I get older, I'm starting to understand his way of thinking about life more. It's not so much in my art. Uh, my art is a different, I work in a different way. But, um, you know, what a, an amazing, amazing person. And then in 2012, the, the MTT, um, Michael Tilson Thomas and the San Francisco Symphony asked me to be in a production that was 
directed by Yuval Tarone, my good friend. Mm. Uh, that's how I met him of, of John Cage's songbooks. And uh, I sang along with Jesse Norman and Joan LaBarbera and with members of the orchestra and with uh, Michael. Goodness. And, um, and so that was a wonderful way of also making contact with John after he died. <laughs> But well, when he was alive, I saw I saw him near you know about a month before he died, and he was always really encouraging to me in my singing. You know, he really always um, you know was very kind and and was very encouraging to me. You know, there's there's this anecdote which I love. It's more than an anecdote. It's something that John Cage said to the painter Philip Guston. John Cage said to the painter Philip Guston. When you start working, everybody is in your studio. The past, your friends, enemies, the art world, and above all, your own ideas. All are there. But as you continue painting, they start leaving one by one, and you are left completely alone. Then, if you're lucky, even you leave. I understand that. I really understand that, I and I think that, I, and I think that that comes from long years of working. I, I really do. I, I I understand exactly what he's talking about there because I do experience that the feeling of that. I really experience somehow this mystery of getting out of the way enough that something from I don't know what how you would you know how you would term it like a larger intelligence can come through you. I really have that feeling sometimes these days. And I think it comes more after you've been working for a long, long time. And in a certain way, right? And in a certain way. And, you know, John did say, I remember him saying to me one time, um, towards, again, towards the end of his life, he said, one can have too many ideas. And, and, I, and I, I remember as a young person, I had so many ideas. You know, that was ideas, ideas, ideas. And I, I remember thinking about that. And, and it's true that that starts falling away as you get older and you're just working with it itself. You know, you're working with the material itself. It starts to hone, you know, you start honing down to what's really essential and, and to the bone. And I'm not sure that all people, all artists, you know, I'm not sure that's the trajectory of all artists' lives, but it is mine. And, 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 and nor need it be, but you claim it and embody it. Uh, what was the word before you said you claim it and embody it? No, it, it doesn't need to be uh, the, the, the mission of all artists, but it is yours. Yeah. It is yours, Meredith, yeah. and you claim it and you embody it. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You, the claiming it is uh, is more maybe having a gratitude for it. You know, it's more uh, being aware of that process. And it's not to say that one, um, you know, I always say, well, uh, when you don't have moments of inspiration, you have to be a good shoemaker. So you have to keep your craft up and you have to, you know, I vocalize every day, keeping my voice together and keeping my body together and all those things that are, uh, you know, keeping the instrument going. But um, you know, I feel that by doing that, then you're open to those moments of inspiration. Um, I, I, I remember the, the Emily Dickinson said that the soul must remain ajar. 
We have to remain, <laughs> yeah, you know, we have to remain that's open, beautiful. isn't it? Yes. Um, yes, that's beautiful. M Meredith, ha have you have you been having a lot of dreams lately? And are you paying attention? To uh, not so many dreams. I do. I have a little dream journal. Um, I have since I was in my 20s. And so I write them down. Not as many dreams as I would think I would have in a time like uh, this. And also, I've always throughout my whole life been um, not exactly an insomniac, but I have not had an easy time sleeping. That was not one of my strong points. And like, strangely like, enough... Likewise, alas. Yeah, and strangely enough, in this time, I've been sleeping quite well. And um, relatively speaking, I go to bed late and I get up late. So uh, that's been working for me. And I think something about not having the pressure of morning appointments is helping me. <laughs> But I'm just amazed and I'm so grateful that I'm sleeping. How, how are you doing during this time? I, I, I keep the night company. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a good way of saying it. It's, it's a, keeps it, well, or the night keeps you company. Uh, likewise. We have, we have a relationship which is a bit too close. <laughs> Because when, because, because when you sleep, Meredith, what happens is you make the night disappear. When you're awake, the night is with you. That's right. That's right. And do you, um, do you take a nap in the day to compensate for that, or do you feel like your energy flows through the whole day? It, uh, I, I wish I did take a nap. Maybe, maybe after our call today, I'll do that in you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> thinking that, that it would be a good thing for me. Uh, Meredith, you and what are what are your days like, Paul? Do you, are you doing ritual? Are you alone? I'm 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 here at the uh, at the Ola House at the Onassis House, which you've been at um, uh, very much at the beginning of this adventure. I'm here on my own throughout the day, basically from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, mm -hmm. Really working on these quarantine tapes and trying to, to yeah, trying to figure out, you know, what are people thinking about during this time? Mm -hmm. What, what, mm -hmm. what, what, and and also this whole notion that you and I were speaking about and that you brought up so beautifully, which is, what will it be like, Meredith, to go back to what passes for normal life? Well, I worry about it, you know, because I feel that. Well, we're missing in the society, and it was just going more. I feel like in a in a strange way, this uh, pandemic is just an uh, an extension and an extreme of what was going on before. The impulses, because I've been worried so long about the lack of touch in our world. You know, because of the screens, the devices, the some kind of um, what would I say? Longing for a virtual reality. Well, I think it's hard enough to be in reality. And so I just don't quite understand that. Like, why do we have to have virtual reality devices when just being attentive to reality is so is really challenging? So I worry for the young ones, you know, that have grown up with those screens and that addiction. I mean, those devices are really addictive and they're made to be addictive. And so I feel like what we're going through now, if this is just going to be what we're, our life is going to be, then some of my... <laughs> my fears of, of the future are, you know, going to come true or, you know, I don't want to say fears, fear is a little extreme, but worry about it, you know, about our young people. And, and, um, you know, for example, I've been teaching at Harvard, uh, we finished, uh, the beginning of May and I, and from 
the middle of March on, they, they closed the school and we had to figure out a way to teach on online. And I had a composition class, music composition class and interdisciplinary composition class. And that, that I could figure out some ways of really working with that technology. I could give them assignments uh, that they could do at home. And then they could show them. And I had students from all over the world. I had one went home to Italy, one went home to Serbia. I mean, it was in some ways really interesting. And it was really interesting to see their homes and their dogs and cats. And, and you know, I mean, that was great. And so that, that class, I mean, and I gave assignments every week, like a kind of study that they could do at home. And they came up with wonderful things. And I think it was exciting for them. Um, but the other class was choral music. Um, and they, we were teaching them a suite of Atlas Act Three to do a concert with Katie Geisinger and Alison Sniffen and I, you know, we're like a trio and Katie Geisinger was teaching with me and she's wonderful at teaching choral music. She really knows how to analyze it and really help the singers figure out how to do it, you know, this way of singing. And wow, you know, we could not sing together, you know, on Zoom, there are delays, and so we could never sing a piece together because it's so utterly frustrating. You can't keep a rhythm at the same time. You can't sing in unison. So I had to figure out all these assignments where uh, we'd work up with each of them as solo voices or passing on a melody or, you know, you could never do anything additive. It was very linear. And then I realized, wow, this is really hard for these young ones. They're never going to get a chance to do this concert. So... I figured out to do, um, you know, I started thinking about doing a virtual choir Zoom piece. And what that is, is that uh, there's like a, 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 a Alvin Sniffen laid down a, a track of the organ. It was a, a short um, piece from Book of Days, my film Book of Days called Fields Clouds. So Allison played the organ um, continuity, you know, like the organ track. And then they, each of them received it and then they could... Um, you know, record over that their individual parts. And in the class set sessions, we would hear them sing as so soloists so we could give them, uh, you know, corrections and, you know, modifications. And, uh, you know, that was great on a certain level, but they never sang that piece together. They never had the joy of singing it together. I mean, choral music, there is nothing more joyful than singing with other people. So there they were alone at home, you know, uh, singing their individual parts, and then we edited them. So how is it going to be if we're living in a world where we can't make music together anymore? I mean, really together, live together. And the other part of this has to do with my sincere belief in the power of live performance, because I do feel that there's a kind of energy exchange, there's a vulnerability, and a uh, uh, what would I say, communal experience, a common experience um, that you cannot substitute uh, with something on the screen. You know, there's it, again, it's about touch. And so I, that, I think, I do a lot of thinking about that, like yeah. how are we going to make music? Well, it's about touch, and it's really about touch. Again, we're back to this notion of the senses. It's about yes. being sent... But, when we talk about being moved by something, we talk about being touched. That's right. And so this this sensory deprivation that we're we're experiencing now because of of what we need to do and the screens that substitute for for, yes. for what passes for reality is really complicated. Yes. Meredith, I can't tell you 
how how much I've enjoyed speaking to you, and and my only chagrin here at this present moment is a brevity <laughs> is, is a brevity of time. But for the moment, I send you a, a virtual hug, and I can't wait to see you, and hope that our paths cross soon again and in person. Me too, Paul. And, and maybe someday, maybe someday we can sing together. That would be so wonderful. Um, and my message to everybody that's listening is. Please do something that you love now. Please use your time doing something that you love. It doesn't matter what it is, but if it comes out of love, it's a good thing to be working on right now. Wonderful. What a great message to 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 leave. And now I'm going to lie down and close my eyes for a few moments. Good. A Thank hu- you, Paul. A huge hug. Bye-bye, Meredith. A huge hug. Bye, Paul. Bye. To support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com/support.